This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We're in the season of epiphany and we're asking God for an awakening. Like awake us to stuff that really matters. Awake us to the spiritual things that matter. And baptism wakes us up. Baptism is dramatic. Baptism is very physical. Baptism is visible. Baptism is something that um, is really transformational. And it's much like our salvation because, you know, baptism doesn't save us, but it symbolizes on the outside what God has done on the inside. And I I know this is I experienced salvation and, you know, as as really a a young child, I I referenced this, you know, not too long ago, five or six years old. Then I kind of made an adult decision as a junior hire. And now, all these years later, I've been walking with the Lord for over 35 years now. Uh, all these years later, I'm still discovering stuff about my salvation, right? I, I still like, like more light is being shed on what Jesus did for me. He did something to me when I was five and six and then again at 13. And, 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 and now more light is being shed on that all the time. And so it is with our water baptism. You may remember when you were baptized in water. Um, You may have a reference point for that, but sermons like today um, sheds light on that. And then when we we celebrate with those who are being baptized, uh, then we also um, commemorate what happened to us. It refreshes that commitment in us. It says, yeah, what God did for me when I was 7 or 17 or 72, what God did in that experience, this is reminding me of that, and it's refreshing that within me. Now, in the scripture today refers to the location of Jesus' baptism. And it happened in the wilderness. It happened in the outskirts. It happened on the outside. Many of the colleges and universities in America uh, were started in the middle of nowhere. The, the thought about this, especially when land-grant universities were being formed, here was, was the thought. And it wasn't a, necessarily a bad thought. Um, if you put adolescents out away from everything they're going to learn better it's a better atmosphere for development i suppose there's some truth in that but there's also truth that they can get in a lot of trouble with nothing to do in the middle of the wilderness but that's why there are places like starkville mississippi that have a university mississippi state college station texas which is just kind of right in the middle of houston and dallas and san antonio kind of they just plop the university right in the middle of Texas. And, and now, now as the, the decades have gone on, stuff has grown up around those universities. But when they started, there was nothing. Um, there is a university in Tennessee, in Harrogate, Tennessee, called Lincoln Memorial University. Has anyone been to Lincoln Memorial University? Okay. I see zero hands. Okay, there is one hand from an educator, Mr. Powell. He's been there, of course. Well, one person's been there. Now, I, I want to take another poll. Has anyone... Raise your hand if you've heard of Lincoln Memorial University in here. Okay, just may, maybe, maybe a dozen hands at all. Uh, I know you've heard of Lincoln, and it's good to memorialize President Lincoln. But there is a university in, in our state that's like located right where Virginia and Tennessee and Kentucky come together. It's right in the middle of nowhere. I've not been there yet, but I have this odd curiosity to go there. So geographical isolation... Uh, produces maybe an atmosphere for personal development. That, that, that is the thought behind this. Um, now, the denomination I grew up in uh, had a campground in, in Texas, and, and it was in East Texas. And if you've never been to East Texas, it's a beautiful place. There's 
forest and trees, and that's a part of my home state. My home state has a little bit of everything. We have forests, we have desert, we have oceans, we have plains. Hey, any Texans in here? Do I got a witness in here? Yeah, I know. Okay. Thank you, Tennessee. If it wasn't for you, Tennessee, there would be no Texas. So thank you, volunteers. But this is the, the, the piney woods of East Texas. So the, the church group I was part of, what they did is they bought this beautiful piece of property in East Texas, and they bulldozed all the trees. And so we were in the middle of, of the summer in the, the most arid, hot, dry condition. It was like a wilderness in our campgrounds. No shade whatsoever. Zero shade. And we had to play outdoor games in the middle of the day. And surrounding us were these beautiful trees. I mean, there was shade all around us. But here we were. It was, it was like in the middle of, uh, of the forest. Nothing at all. Nothing but just dead grass and hard ground. And, and so that wilderness experience, maybe it wasn't wise, but it, it was an atmosphere uh, where, where spiritual things would happen. Because you get away, right? You kind of get away and you get by yourself and you get alone. We know that uh, historically that the desert fathers were contemplatives who initially, uh, intentionally fled society for spiritual development. We see in Europe and in a few places here in North America, monasteries. These are kind of physical compounds where, where people retreat for spiritual focus. Most great men and women of history have had long periods of wilderness years. These are years where they live in obscurity, where they're being developed. They lived in isolation. And so it is that we, we not only have physical deserts and monasteries, but we also have kind of these, these type of uh, symbolic times of isolation. And so I bring that all to think about your personal wilderness. And if you have some time to reflect on this, is that we all have at some point, maybe you haven't experienced this yet, but a time of a personal wilderness, a time where we feel like we're in isolation, where maybe we're not part of the flow of society that could be an illness and, and I want you to think about someone who has a prolonged illness. And would you, would you consider visiting that person? Can you, can you, would you, let, let us not forget people with prolonged illness. You know, sometimes when people are in the hospital the first four or five days, it's like where there's this big rush to go visit, and, and the person needs kind of space to recovery. But then we forget those who are disabled long-term. And, and so would you consider that? So sometimes it's a time of sickness. Sometimes it's a time of unemployment. Sometimes it's a time of disconnection from the body of Christ. And, and then sometimes it's simply the ramifications of sin. Because when we, when we choose sin, th there, there can be consequences. So here's, here's my first point today, and maybe my only point today. But you can write it down. God creates and uses the wilderness. Notice I didn't say God just uses the wilderness, but God creates the wilderness. And going back to our text today in verse 4, it says, Jesus came baptizing, excuse me, John came baptizing where? In the wilderness. A preaching, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Sometimes we, we want the message of the gospel in convenient places, right? We, we, want, we want the message of, of the gospel in, in, in rhythms that fit us. 
We want the message of gospel in places of, of cultural comfort. And, and occasionally, just to be honest, uh, when society, there's a majority Christian society, there are comfortable places for the gospel to be. And that certainly has been, uh, our country has been the majority of our history. We, we've had a lot of, a lot of comfortable environments to, to hear the gospel. But there, there comes a time when, when we have to be in an uncomfortable place, in a wilderness place, to really hear clearly the clarion call of Jesus and that Jesus is really calling us. I wanted to remind this of you today because I want to remind you there is a purpose for your wilderness. Some of you may be in a place where things around you don't seem fruitful. You may be in a place where, where things are arid and dry. Things are a little scary and you feel like you're in isolation. And it's at that point that we have the opportunity to question God. It's at that point we have a, a chance to resist God. It's at that point we have the chance to be disillusioned at God. But, but I'm here to remind you on this, this cold Sunday morning when there is some, some physical barrenness around us outside that God has a purpose in the wilderness and he's created the wilderness in our life because sometimes we have to be in the wilderness to hear him. If we're just comfortable and if we just feel safe all the time and, and, and if, if, if things are always just delightful, then maybe we don't have the maturity to say we need God. Now, I don't believe you're going to be in the wilderness forever. I know that. The wilderness is always a metaphor for something we're passing through. It's, it's, about, it's about maybe a time of temptation, or maybe it's a time of development. Maybe it's a time of, of, of sojourn where we're passing from one place to another. So your wilderness isn't forever. Your wilderness isn't, isn't your, your permanent state. Your wilderness isn't the atmosphere that you're going to exist forever and ever, but it's the place that God has you in now, and it's a place that you are responding to him now. Sometime God sends us to the wilderness. He certainly did that for the desert fathers. He certainly has done that for those in the monastic life, the nuns and the hermits and the, uh, those who have said, hey, I'm going to give my life to prayer. Uh, he's certainly done those for those who have gone on sabbatical, for those who have separated themselves. It is possible that there are times when God sends you to the wilderness Sometimes God sends you to the wilderness by sending you to a place you don't prefer. Maybe it's Oklahoma. Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Um, God, God sends you to a place you don't prefer. He, he sends you to a place you geographically wish you lived somewhere else. Maybe, you know, you're not really into Tennessee right now. You wish you were living out on the coast. You're a beach person, right? Or, or whatever the case is. You're a big city person. You're, you're, you're not a southerner. And that's not a bad thing either. That, um, uh, you're, 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 you're here, and, and you're here, and God has placed you here, but it's not your preference. And that's okay. It doesn't mean God's not at work. God, God is always at work within you. But what we, what we, what we tend to do is we, we, we get emotionally distraught when we belittle our atmosphere and we fail to see that maybe God's put us in the wilderness because he wants to give us more of him. Sometimes we look up and find ourselves in the wilderness. We're like a child at play. He or she is just having a great time and just enjoying the play and then next thing they know, they look up and they're lost. And they're lost and they didn't mean to get there. They've lost track of his or her location. So the Lord is working within that. Psalm 29 is one of our, is our, is our psalm from the lectionary today. And I, 
It's a powerful psalm that gives God glory and praise for the variety of his creation. It says, arise, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. These are like poetic, really powerful words. And it goes on and it describes different aspects of creation. And then we go to verse 8 and it says this. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. That sounds really important, doesn't it? It means this, is that God speaks in the wilderness. And when it's a place of barrenness, and it's a place of isolation, and it's a place of, of maybe even personal loneliness, it's also a place that the voice of God can reach to. Now, what is the wilderness of Kadesh? It's an area referred to often in the Bible because it's the place where God's people were when they passed from Egypt to the Promised Land and they spent 40 years in Kadesh. It's a part of that wilderness. It's a part of that wilderness that's probably in the southern part of Israel now. And it's from this place that if some of you are familiar with with the Old Testament stories that Moses sent out the 12 spies and he sent them out to scout out the promised land and they came back to Kadesh. And you you can find that in Numbers 13 if you want to look at that later, if you want to write that down in your notes, but I want, I want to make a couple of points about this. Look at what the Lord said. He said, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. So we know this wilderness is this place that's on the edge of the promised land. And so I, I want to remind you, using this as the metaphor, that your wilderness is right on the edge of your promised land. Your wilderness is right on the edge of what God has for you. Sometimes the place, that, the place where, um, where you feel like you're going to die is actually the place that's about to launch you to new life. Your wilderness is the launching place for your opportunity. Guys, if you're in the wilderness, if you're in the wilderness, you are not alone. God knows where you are, and he's going to launch you in to the place that he wants you to be if you trust him. Now, not everyone trusted him. The spies, 10 of the spies said, hey, the, 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 the promised land is too much for us. Too much for us. We can't do it. How many know that when God begins to show us something, often we're like, hey, it's too much for me. It's too, too much for me. We get to have the, the, the promise, the, the courage, the faith of Caleb and Joshua says we can take the land. We can cross over. And that type of faith is developed in the wilderness. That type of faith is developed in the place of isolation. So if you feel a little lonely, if you feel forgotten, if you feel overlooked, if people aren't recognizing your talents, if people aren't recognizing your potential, if things are not progressing on the timeline that you anticipated them to progress, you may be exactly where God has you because God's not done with you yet. God's not done with you yet. It's a dear friend of mine that... that I have a lot of pastor friends, and, and one of them, this guy is one of the most talented pastors that I've ever known. I mean, he's just unbelievable, but, but he's, he's, he's just kind of stuck in a situation in the natural. You would think, well, he could pastor a, a, a huge church, a large, one of the largest churches in America, has a talent, has a skill, and I was praying for him, and the Lord told me this. The Lord said, I, the Lord said I'm not done with him yet. I'm not done developing him yet. 
Now, I didn't plan to share that with you today, but I, the Lord wanted me to share that with somebody here today because the Lord says he's not done with you yet in the wilderness. You want out? You want out? You want, you want out? And, and you just feel it. I mean, you just feel it. It can even borderline resentment with God. But God says he's not done with you yet. He's not done with you. He's at work within you. So when we go now to this theme of water baptism, is the water baptism that our Jesus experienced did not happen in the existing temple. It didn't happen at the religious center. It didn't happen in the visible place. It didn't happen at the place of acclaim. It happened in the wilderness. And we think about that, that it's really when we understand our sinfulness and how much we need God that when we're truly ready for him in his presence. I'm going to get back to this theme because I believe the spirit is on this part of the sermon. But I'll quickly tell you my other two points because they're written down and they're going to be good. <laughs> One of the things that happens through water baptism is God leads us to humility through water baptism. I thought about this in verse 6. John wore camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching, someone more powerful than I will come after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this point, but I'm going to be quickly. In our context, what does water baptism mean? The way that we water baptize, water baptize you see to your left this, this water baptism tank here. And you will have to wear gym shorts or sweatpants in front of God's people and walk into this tank. There's no, hum, there's no, there's no uh, humble way to do that, is there? A prideful way to do that. There's no cool way to do it. That's what I'm looking for. I mean, you're not like, hey, I'm getting baptized, man, here in the winter. Look at my shiny legs, you know, or look at, you know, whatever the case is. I mean, I mean it's just, it, it, there, there's, a, there's a sense of, of uh, humiliation. There's a sense of humbleness. Like, 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 and, and that's why, you know, kids are like, man, I'm ready to get baptized. Right on, man, it's going to be fun, yeah. In fact, we have to vet that a little bit in them. Just like, okay, it's, you know, it's not because it's fun. It's because Jesus died for you. We do all that stuff. But, but as adults, a lot of us are like, hey, I love Jesus, and I love Jesus, and I'm for him, but a believer's baptism, I mean, I just ain't, I'm just ain't going to do it. I'm just not going to get in my, my sweatpants or gym shorts in front of the church and go underwater. And I, I just say that, man, that's, that's just pride. So we'll have another baptism at the end of February, and if pride's keeping you from being baptized, you need to humble yourself. And do so. If you have a phobia of going underwater, and I'm serious about this, I'm serious about this, talk to me and I can work with you and we can do it another way. And we, we, we can figure that out. We're not here to impose humiliation. I'm just saying that God, God, God has given this sacrament is what it is. It's a physical symbol of what God has done on the inside. And it takes, it takes some humility in us as adults sometimes. But on the other side of humility is anointing, right? When we humble ourselves before the Lord, then the spirit comes on us and our life is marked in new ways. Here's the last thing that I want, my last observation. God 
delights in my obedience. I just want to be clear. The Lord likes it and loves it. The Lord loves it when we are baptized in water. Now, you know, the question, there's, there's some practical questions that come up. How many times should we baptize in water? Well, you know, really, once, really, because we believe in the security of the believer. So because of that, we don't, I, I don't need, you know, I don't need Mike Bradley to get baptized 20 times in my 10 years of ministry. That's not very good preaching on my part if he is. If he thinks 20 times he's not a Christian. So, but I think that as an adult, if you were baptized as a child and, and it didn't mean anything to you, I mean, I think it's still legitimate baptism, but I think it would be a good thing. And it would be a blessing to you and to our church and to our family if you would consider rebaptism. I don't think you have to, but I think it could be a good thing for you. And God will delight in that. God delights in obedience. Man, the Lord loves it. Let me tell you what's a very rare blessing. It's a very rare blessing that in the natural, we have a good relationship with our earthly father. Can I just tell you that's rare? I, wish it, I hope it becomes more common, and maybe I think it is. Those who grew up in the 50s and 60s and into the 70s, men didn't really say I love you much back then. So now I'm glad. That's, you know, we talk about societies getting worse. There, there are some things about society that is improving, many things about society that is improving. And one of those things that are improving about society is the fact that men are more affectionate. And, and I encourage you men to tell your children you love them, hug your kids, love them, because it's such a blessing when that happens. Such a blessing. And, and we, we should... We should value that. One of my childhood friends, um, her father died two days ago, unexpectedly. We all went to church together, and, and we would never have thought this guy would have passed away. So those things happen. And then um, we just have broken families, and people don't have a relationship with their dad. Some people never knew their dad. Some people um, never had a healthy relationship with their dad. There's all kinds of complexities that come. But when a father claims his son and a father claims his daughter, there's something beautiful. Hey, this is my girl. This is my girl. She is the best cello player that Gallatin High School's ever had in the third chair. Because <laughs> she's mine. Right? This is my son. This is my son. This is my daughter. Isn't that beautiful? That's beautiful. I know we haven't all received that in the natural, but, we, but we've all received it spiritually. So this is, this is a scripture. It's one of the most tender scriptures in, in the Bible. As soon as he came up out of the water, this is Mark chapter 1, verse 10. As soon as he came up after the, out of the water. That again shows us the biblical example of what we call immersion, which is what we're going to do this morning, going into the water and coming up. He saw heavens being torn open. The spirit descending to him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. I take delight in you. Isn't that awesome? You are my beloved son. I take delight in you. And that's a good thing for us to say to children and grandchildren. But it's something that we can all hear from the Lord. He takes delight in us. 
He takes delight in us and we receive his love. We receive his love. Well, it's five after and I was told we would have baptisms at five after, but how many know that sometimes things are different than we plan? So I'll, I'll ask the ushers to begin to prepare to distribute communion now. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day, Jr., Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I hope you take time to reflect on the role of justice. The civil rights movement began in the churches. It began in pastors. And it did not end in 1964 when the Civil Rights Act was passed. It's still unfolding today. And we're still part of the Civil Rights Act movement. Every time we resist a racial joke, every time we choose to judge people by the content of their character, not the tone of their skin or their ethnic background. Every time we welcome those who are different than us, we follow the heart of Jesus and we become, we become vessels of mercy and justice. And I admire Dr. King because he was a young pastor who the bulk of his work was accomplished when he was younger than I am right now. A young pastor with a lot of pressure on him. And yet, God used him and countless others to awaken the conscience of our nation. I want us to pray as we begin to prepare for communion today.